Welcome to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton, a series of conversations with geeky and nerdy people about geeky and nerdy topics. It's one of the most unwieldy titles of a show ever, untitled web series about a space traveler who can also travel in time. But the name of the show is drenched in almost as much history as the show it's a spoof of, Doctor Who. I sat down with producer, co-writer, and star of the series, Travis Ritchie, to talk about the origin of the show, as well as season two, which premieres Tuesday, September 24th, 2013. Full disclosure, I donated $50 to the Season 2 Kickstarter campaign. Let's talk, uh, Let's just start talking a little bit about the series of the whole, where the idea came from. So I was uh, originally cast as Inspector Space Time on Community, which was a, uh, it was just a standard audition. We, the interesting thing about it was that it was not posted as sides, uh, it wasn't posted out for people to submit to generally. Uh, it was just the casting director called in specific people that he wanted to have read for it. And I think that was because it was such a small role. And so I went in and read for that. And also the other role that was in the season three premiere, which was the um, Downton Abbey uh, guy. And then they cast me. And uh, when I was on set, we were talking about how this is the type of thing that NBC and Community would do uh, for supplemental content because Community has a history of doing it for things like Kick Puncher. NBC has a history of doing it for things like The Office and uh, also, you know, Heroes did a web series. And so we thought, oh, okay, great. So either, you know, they should do a, an episode of Inspector Space Time for the DVD, like just an extra episode, or they should do a web series. So on the way home from that shoot, I call up my writing partner and say, look, we need to write a web series for Inspector Space Time so that if they decide they want to do it, we can, and, and I get back on the show for a second episode, we can, you know, show them a script and say, hey, you guys should do this. And by the way, here's a script if you don't have the time to do it yourselves. And so we did that. And uh, on my second episode, um, I did three episodes total. So on my second episode, I bought the script with me. We did, we wrote six episodes out. And, uh, and they basically said, you know, we can't, take a script. We can't just look at a script, which is a Hollywood normal thing. You can't just hand a script to somebody because they'll there's a lot of fear about if they independently come up with an idea that is similar to yours. And even if they haven't read your script yet, then they open themselves up to, to being sued for, you know, copying ideas or whatever. So nobody looked at my script, and we, uh, they told me to submit it through my agent, and, we, uh, and I did submit it to my agent, and uh, he submitted it to various people at NBC and Sony, but got no response whatsoever. You know, just nothing, not a, not a yes, not a no. And so we, um, when Community was in peril, uh, at the, in the middle of season three, there was this long hiatus that just happened. Like suddenly out of the blue, they took it off the schedule and nobody knew what was going to happen. The season had been, had finished filming, but we didn't know when it was going to finish airing and we didn't know if there was going to be a season four. And so I was going to be a guest at Gallifrey One, which was a Doctor Who, the world's largest fan run Doctor Who convention. And I decided to do something special for that, which was do a script reading for the first episode of our web series. So we had the cast there and read it live. And so we were going to uh, launch our Kickstarter campaign right after that and basically say you know, to fans, look, if you want this web series enough, and, and fans were clamoring for it, they wanted extra content for Inspector Space Time. Uh, I said, if you guys want this badly enough, fund it and we'll know it's worth making. 
and I made it very clear that we weren't connected. You know, we weren't doing it officially or anything like that. And uh, and they did. The news exploded after Gallifrey One on the internet that there was that we were working on an Inspector Space Time web series, and we managed to raise uh, twenty five thousand dollars. And our goal was twenty. And it was about halfway through that funding that I got a call from a Sony lawyer. Uh, just one phone call. It wasn't a cease and desist order. It wasn't anything. Just one call where she said, you know, you need to shut this project down. And I told her basically, no, I don't, because everything in the web series was completely original except for the title and the look of the main character. And I'd done a lot of research before trying, you know, before embarking on this mission. And uh, I mean, you can't copyright a title, and nobody had a trademark. Nobody had bothered to trademark Inspector Spacetime. And, uh, and as far as the look of the character, that bowler hat and trench coat look, you can't copyright either because it's, uh, it's uh, seen unfair, I believe is what it's called. It's just stuff that appears in everyday life. You can't copyright a telephone, you know? But I said, you know, I don't want to fight with you guys because Community is one of my favorite shows. So I wanted to, I said, look, you know, if... I have to. I will change the title and the look of the main character. Everything else being original, we haven't, you know, we weren't using Constable Reggie, we weren't using Blorgons. But you have to know if I do these things, I'm going to have to tell these people who are giving us their money why I'm making these changes. And, I mean, you know they're not going to be mad at me, Sony. (laughs) You know, they're going to be mad at the big company trying, you know, not giving the fans what they want. And, uh, And basically, she said, we don't care. And so I did. I made that change and I made, you know, I told people why. And sure enough, there was this backlash against Sony for, you know, not letting us make it Inspector Space Time. And so we titled it Untitled Web Series about a space traveler who can also travel through time. And the look of the character is we got actually a costume designer to build a new coat for the inspector, which is so much cooler, actually, than just a simple trench coat. So it all worked out. And and plus now we own it. And so we can do whatever we want with untitled web series, including make a second season. So that's what we're working on right now. Well, and uh, I know that TV Tropes took it on, and the forums over there, I want to say, is where I first started seeing your name popping up as wanting to do something about it. Am I correct? Uh, yes. Well, there were a couple of uh, in, there were a couple of big websites right off the bat. There was TV Tropes uh, did a whole uh, page on Inspector Space Time. Then there was the uh, there was a Inspector Space Time on ProBoards.com, and uh, so there that was a forum where people were actually writing. They were coming up with the canon for Inspector Spacetime. They were writing episode ideas and, and indeed whole scripts for the show. Um, and it, coming up with a whole 50-year history for this fake show. And then uh, the Inspector Spacetime's Confessions Tumblr was uh, big for a while. That has since um, died out. And there's another Inspector Spacetime Tumblr that uh, uh, the guy posts every day very regularly. And so, um, but there, it's still going strong. Okay. Uh, with regards to the second season, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, premiering Tuesday. Sure, yes. Yeah. So uh, the, uh, I think the easiest way to start talking about the second season is to talk about the constraints we had for the first season, which were when we were writing it, we didn't know whether Sony or NBC or whoever would want a web series or an episode. So we wrote it to be basically a sitcom-length episode, but broken up into six acts with commercial breaks in between for you know uh, for want of a better description so um we made six parts each one has a cliffhanger and uh, but it's very short it's only about 20 it's less than 20 minutes long all told if you put it all together uh so with season two 
when we were doing it ourselves, we knew we wanted to tell a bigger story. With season one, we were constrained by time and, and budget. We were also writing it to be very cheap, you know, to be more appealing to them. And But with season two, we were like, okay, we have this story that we want to tell. Here's this trope that we, um, uh, we want to play with, uh, which is the idea that the main character is put in a position where they are trying to be convinced and the audience is trying to be convinced that everything we've ever seen is not real. Um, Buffy did an episode where she wakes up in an insane asylum and, you know, the fans still don't really know, is that real or is... And so that's the trope we're playing for. We also wanted to tell something longer for a couple different reasons. One is that we have more story to tell. We have a bigger story to tell. Two is that our biggest complaint for season one was the episodes are too short. I mean which is a great complaint to get, but and we agreed. Um, but we are going to now take season two instead of 20 minutes for the whole thing put together. Season two is about 60 minutes. So episodes are still going to be six episodes, but they'll be about 10 minutes apiece. Uh, so much meatier, much, uh, they got more stuff, more characters. Uh, we also changed directors. So uh, Vince Talenti, who directed uh, Fallout Nuka Break, um, that web series, he directed our first season, and then now he's doing he's doing stuff for Machinima. So we uh, were looking for a new director, and we got Nicholas Acosta, who is an amazing director. He's um, he's a young guy. He directed Battle of Hogwarts and uh, he did a new film called The Riddance uh, and also a friend request that just won some awards at uh, a, a film festival up in um, up in Hollywood. And uh, he's got this amazing visual style and he's so enthusiastic and so it's fun. It's It's great working with him. But here's the thing. We knew that we wanted to raise more money for season two. It was going to cost more because one important thing for me was to be able to pay my cast and crew uh, for their work because people did such amazing work on season one and were so dedicated, nobody got paid anything. So with season two, I want to be able to do that. Plus, with more content comes a bigger budget. So we're looking at minimum of $125,000 for the cost of season two. I knew that was going to be a hard thing to raise because season one, although successful and we got a lot of critical praise, uh, our total views on it was like 250, 300,000 views. And I suspected that we weren't going to be able to use that audience that was engaged with season one to fund season two. So we needed to show people what our new look was. We needed to really raise the bar, uh, get some people, get some guest stars involved and try to uh, make the audience bigger. So we wrote a prequel episode to season two, which takes place between season one and season two. And we funded that just one episode for $12,000 on Kickstarter. And uh, we had Nick come in and direct that. And that's what we're about to premiere on Tuesday, the 24th. So uh, it's about eight minutes long, and um, big things happen. We have a, we reveal our guest star Robert Picardo, and uh, Mayim Bialik from Big Bang Theory provided the voice of the tel the voice of the booth, uh, the inspector's time machine, and one of our main characters dies, and it's it's just it's very exciting. And so uh, I, I we're in post production right now, doing music and audio mixing, and the special effects are are just stunning. I can't wait for people to see it. I hope. I flip out every time I see it, and I hope that the uh, fans do too. Now, this isn't your first web series that you've done. No, oh, no, not and, at all. And you have a bit of a background. Uh, what do you What do you think is the draw of doing something on the web versus trying to get it produced through television or film or 
Well, I've been producing for myself for about four years doing web series. The first one I did was called Robot Ninja and Gay Guy. And uh, I do another show called Two Hot Guys in the Shower that's fairly popular, some Mac versus PC ads, and then also just random sketches uh, that I call the Travis Ritchie Sketch Show. And the reason that web series are so important, uh, or web television as uh, I like to call it, is that they're, the barrier for entry is so low. There is zero reason why you can't, as an actor or a writer or a director, make content for yourself. If, 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 if you need to act, then act. And if you need to write and you need to get your stuff seen, produce it yourself because you can do it for relatively cheap. Now, I, I was putting a lot of my money into it, like, you know, uh, let's say $10,000 over the course of a year or two. But I was, you know, so I was working my butt off to get that money and then not doing anything else and so not going to bars, not going to, you know, not spending money on superfluous things, being very frugal, putting all my money into my web series. But with that, people were able to see that we have a a talent for it you know we have a good I have a good writing team basically my creative team is extraordinary the people who do music and writing and uh, who help produce my content are an extraordinary group of people and we slowly build an audience and I, I mean I think it I mean the simplest reason is that we are creative people and we need to be creative and if you wait for a studio to buy your script or a TV show to greenlight your project or a network to, you know, to put you on the air, you'll be waiting for the rest of your life. You need to just do it. And so that's what we did. I mean, that's, that's my opinion. Now, there are other ways. There are as many ways to be successful as there are successful people. So mine's not the only way, but it's certainly a way for you to get your product out there and also get seen. And if, if you want your show to be on TV, they will, uh, it's a lot easier for you to bring them a product and say, this is what it's going to look like, or, you know, this is what it is and have them say, oh yes, I get that. And then they'll work with you on it. And uh, kind of following up on that, um, doing a web series nowadays, it's starting to have a little bit more legitimacy to mm -hmm. it. Not five years ago, if you talked about doing something on the internet, you were talking about cat videos and rickrolling. <laughs> and now, but now you've got, you know, your show, you've got the the Husbands, the series by Jane Espenson. You've yep. got a few other, uh, Tabletop and the Geek and Sundry channel um, as well. And so it's becoming a little bit more, like I said, a, a legitimate channel. For, for producing, do you think that trend's going to continue? Yeah, uh, I think the trend towards web television being more mainstream is going to continue faster and faster every year. And part of that is that the, the whole um, industry is getting some legitimacy uh, because of shows like House of Cards and Arrested Development going to Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and uh, everybody's producing their original content. And so what that does is give the smaller people like me and uh, Husbands is a great show that I love. Um, and Husbands is now even on a network so uh, or a network website. And YouTube is doing, you know, they're paying people to do original content. I think that people are recognizing that a couple things. One is that there is all this talent out there that is untapped. And if you look at television now, if you look at, you know, a lot of times there's bad TV on the air. <laughs> there's no obvious explanation for it. You, you sit there and go, well, I know a guy who, who writes better than that. Why isn't he on? Well, now that guy can, can have his own show. It's on the internet and uh, it can't be as expensive to produce and all that. But I think that's the other side of the coin is that these companies are starting to realize that original scripted content 
is they can do it for less expensive than people have been doing it. You know, it's not terribly expensive to do. Unfortunately, that means a lot of the people involved are not getting paid what they're worth or, or living wage to do it. But, but you know, it's a stepping stone and it's better than being paid nothing to do it, which a lot of us would do anyway. So, but that's the thing. I mean, because the barrier for entry is so low, because the cost of production can be a few hundred dollars for a nice DSLR camera um, and, a, you know, a, a cheap-ish computer to edit on, the people that just need to create can create. And so I think they will at a faster pace. Okay, um, and with it being on the internet, it's a little bit more difficult to to monetize it. You talked about going to Kickstarter to fund yeah. your stuff. Do you have any plans to move to to monetize it beyond Kickstarter campaigns? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so monetization of uh, of your content is 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 a tricky thing. The standard method is through advertising. So you advertise on your video when you post it, and that's fine. Um, I have always thought that uh, advertising was. Uh, or in video advertising was not going to be the future. I mean, that's a model that people are watching videos online kind of to escape advertising. And I mean, you never will, but they, they, they're they moving away from watching TV on the air and on their couch, sitting through ads. And, uh, and, and that's a trend that's been going for several years now, starting with, uh, starting with TiVo. Uh, now, as far as my plans to monetize my shows, I've always kind of eschewed the idea that it had to be advertising-based. And people have asked if we're going to move away from Kickstarter. And I would very much like to not rely on fans to fund uh, our shows. But I don't think that Kickstarter is necessarily a bad thing. Because what you're doing is you're basically pre-selling your content or your product. With web series, it is the most difficult thing to do on Kickstarter because you are producing something that you're going to give away for free. And how do you pre-sell that? You can't, I mean, you can't pre-sell free. So what you have to do is come up with other things, other incentives to give people. And so that's a difficult thing for web series to do. But I think that web series, if done well, have good merchandising potential. So I think there are a couple of ways that I would like to ideally... Uh, fund our shows. One is through sponsorships. So have a have a company um, either sponsor or advertise on the show. B is through uh, fan funded um, drives like Kickstarter. So it's it's a way for them to really engage and support a show. And there are other other websites than Kickstarter that do something very well. There's a subable um, that was started by Hank uh, Hank Green that allows people to give five dollars a month for a show that is ongoing. So it allows you to kind of really back a show. Um, there's also then merchandising, which some shows lend themselves to more than others. Like I think that Inspector Space Time or Untitled Web Series lends itself towards merchandising uh, fairly well. We have characters, we have quotes, we have things that can put, be put on t-shirts and posters. We have amazing artwork. Christopher Jones just did a, a, a comic book cover for us for our Kickstarter campaign that is absolutely unbelievable. And uh, so those kind of things are, are ways to fund the show. Although with Inspector or with Untitled Web Series, I internally I always call it Inspector Space Time because that's what the fans the, the fans know that if ever there were to be an Inspector Space Time show starring me, uh, Inspector Space Time's Travis Ritchie, this is the show that it you know this is what it would be. 
but I have a policy where anybody that creates anything creative for my show, whether it's the guy who created the optic pocket knife or the guy who writes the music or the person who does artwork for us, they own what they produce and they have the right to monetize it. I don't. I won't. I have the right to use it when I need to, but I won't be selling it. I won't be making money off of it. Because of that, my uh, I'm not going to be making money off of the soundtrack. Uh, Brian Giovanni, who wrote the soundtrack, will be selling that on iTunes. You know, so those kind of things are uh, limit my ability to create revenue from this particular show. But then we have a show like Robot Ninja and Gay Guy, uh, which we want to get back into second season, which that also has a lot of uh, merchandise potential. So. Now, were you much of a Doctor Who fan before getting cast as Inspector Space Time? Uh, I had watched Doctor Who when I was a kid. Tom Baker was my first Doctor. And uh, mostly because my brothers were 10 and 12 years older than I was, and so I was always forced to watch whatever they watched. So I grew up on you know, Battlestar Galactica and Star Wars and, uh, uh, and Doctor Who on PBS. And uh, after Tom Baker regenerated, I kind of lost interest. And uh, I, But I was always surrounded by friends who were into it. Like one of my friends built a TARDIS replica in his, uh, in his bedroom. And um, so I always was around it. And then when the series relaunched, I was aware of it, but I was also, it wasn't easy to watch in the United States yet. And so um, I, had, I remember watching, and I didn't have cable, so I couldn't watch BBC America. And I remember watching an episode, uh, the Agatha Christie episode, and thinking, oh, giant bees, this is so British. Um, and not being really into it until I um, had the audition for Inspector Space Time, and the series had just gone up on Netflix, uh, including Matt Smith's first season, and I knew enough about it to know that they were referencing Matt Smith because in the community script, they mentioned that he had a bow tie on. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, this is the new guy. And so I went and watched the first Matt Smith episode, and it was pretty, go it was pretty good. And so then I got cast... And I went back and started with Chris, Christopher Eccleston because I'm also one of those people who needs to watch stuff from the beginning. So uh, I watched all the way through, including Torchwood. And then I went back and watched it again because uh, I'd watched it too fast and it was just that good. So uh, I watched the whole thing twice in, in the space of a couple months. So, yeah, I'm a big fan now. Well, and, and I have to ask, since since Matt Smith's getting ready to regenerate, are there any plans for the in inspector to regenerate? Uh, the inspector <laughs> metamorphosizes, um, and we do have some ideas about what to do for that. But for now, I'm content to play the role. Okay. A little bit about your process in terms of your creative process. You both star and write the show. How do you separate the writer from the star when you're being acted? <sighs> Well, uh, separating the writer, when, when we're creating the show, uh, first of all, I have a writing partner in Eric Loya, who also co-stars in the show with me, which is great because he and I co-wrote Robot Ninja and Gay Guy, but uh, he wasn't in it as much. So it's fun to have him there with me. How we don't actually, you don't actually separate yourself as an actor all that much from the writing. At least I haven't. And it's part of that is not having enough time because I'm so focused. I'm also producing and I'm also, you know, I'm doing... Uh, I'm helping to do costumes. I'm helping to, you know, uh, facilitate prop building. I'm getting locations. And so it's kind of an unfortunate truth that I don't have a whole lot of time as an actor to delve into the role. And, and there were some moments in season one where, and, and, and I'm content with my performance, but there were some moments where uh, I would watch it and go, ah, I, if only I'd thought of this 
uh, for that moment. And um, you know, so, and, and those things maybe are the curse of, of being an actor is you'll always see those moments um, later on and maybe other people won't notice. But um, the interesting thing now is having a director like Nick uh, on board who is so engaged he really has his own uh, vision about what the performances need to be and what what's going on. So, but we have a very collaborative. I, I always have a very collaborative atmosphere on set where anybody who has an opinion about something that might be better or funnier should feel free to speak up. Normally, kind of a faux pas for actors to give other actors notes, but I love hearing from Eric. Uh, you know, if he says, "Hey, could you say this?" Uh, I mean, what if you said this this way? Or, uh, or you know, hearing it from Carrie, uh, who is Piper Tate, who is amazing. Um, uh, you know, or just even the PA, you know, says, "Hey, what about you know? Does this mean this, or does this mean this?" And I, I believe that you always get more out of having more voices. And as a producer, ultimately, it's my job to make a decision about what is good or bad or in or out. But um, having that information is always better. Okay. And then was there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered? Well, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's uh, people can engage with us. I love talking with fans. And so we have uh, fans engaging with us on uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash untitledwebseries, which I was amazed that that was available, but it was. <laughs> uh, and then uh, theinspector.tv is the place to watch the show if you want to or, or share it with friends. Uh, we did just move YouTube channels. So the old channel where season one started is being slowly shut down. And the new channel, which is it's just Travis Ritchie, youtube.com slash Travis Ritchie, uh, is where season one now lives and season two uh, will live. And in, in fact, all of my content going forward in the future. So um, make sure people subscribe to that channel because after we premiere the prequel episode to season two, we'll also be doing original sketch comedies and uh, more episodes of other shows every single week. Any chance that this will one day be available on DVD? You know, I've thought about putting the show out on DVD or Blu-ray. The problem is, is that uh, two things. One is we are becoming such a culture of downloads and uh, and streaming that I feel like at, at very soon the point of uh, diminishing returns is going to be like eh, it's not worth it. The other thing about that is that it is very expensive to make DVDs and Blu-rays, so you have to sell them for pretty high cost in order to make in order to make it worthwhile and I can't help but ask myself well if people can get it for free online who wants to buy a blu-ray who wants to buy a physical copy the only thing I can think of is if we had extra content like uh, you know behind the scenes stuff which might be something to think about for season two or three but uh, for right now I'm not sure that that's uh, something we're gonna do I, I think maybe season two will have a blu-ray and that way we can add season one to it and maybe off offer some things but probably only as a perk to Kickstarter donors Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton is released under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share alike license for more information visit creativecommons.org <laughs>